1: The solution among some of your Republican House colleagues is to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas. They had that long 13-hour hearing yesterday when even the Wall Street Journal this morning saying this does not qualify as high crimes and misdemeanors. You should not impeach someone based on policy disputes. You have Republican senators saying this is a distraction, a waste of time. Let's take this border deal that's being put in front of us. What's your response to that vote out of that committee in the House yesterday to impeach Mayorkas? yeah house republicans are engaged in another partisan political stunt they apparently have been ordered to do so by donald trump and marjorie taylor green because these are the individuals who are basically running the house republican conference which is why we've seen nothing from this do nothing republican congress but chaos dysfunction and extremism we should be focused on issues related to the economy inflation national security public safety, fixing the border.
2: Look at this insane video. A group of migrants in New York City are arrested after attacking NYPD officers in Times Square. Five were arrested, and four are already released without bail.
3: All right, the brawl started when two officers were trying to break up a rowdy crowd near a migrant shelter on 42nd Street. While arresting one of the men, the other said, hey, I'm not going to just sit there. I'll jump in. I'll start kicking. I'll stop punching the officers. After all, I don't belong in this country anyway. I could beat up an NYPD officer. What will actually happen? The Manhattan DA's office saying it's investigated the incident as police search for five other men involved. Every part of this uh, incident could have been avoided if you didn't allow 67,000 people to call New York. who don't belong here. And what happened is instead of being grateful, they're creating chaos. I want to remind the
4: public that Donald Trump and House Republicans also have their own ideas for the border. So let's review the majority's border ideas that they've actually presented. Here they are. Donald Trump actually has said that he wants to build alligator moats along the border. That's one of his incredible ideas. Another idea that Donald Trump has promoted is he actually wants to electrify the border fence and maybe even put some spikes on the border. That's another Donald Trump and MAGA majority border idea. Another idea, which I'm not sure how, how well it would go, is he wants to actually bomb Northern Mexico with missiles. That's another Trump idea. And finally, I think one of the ones that I think um, is the most grotesque is suggestions that instead we should maybe just shoot migrants in the legs as they cross the border. So once again, the Donald Trump and MAGA plan is alligator moats bombing northern Mexico, shooting migrants in the legs, and electrifying the fence and putting spikes on them.
1: I think the MAGA plan sounds pretty good, if you ask me. Uh, someone on Twitter put it best. If Donald Trump actually did these things, he'd be elected president for life. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining us. On today's show, you can get to the live video stream of this show at TrumpetDaily.com or at our Rumble channel. Just go to Rumble.com forward slash TrumpetDaily. If you go to Rumble, make sure you give us the thumbs up so that you can up our rating and we can get more publicity for this show. LFA TV helps us with that. We uh, rebroadcast the program every evening on LFA at 8 p.m. Central Time here in the United States. So you can get to this show through a variety of sources and platforms. Of course, a lot of people download the show to their devices. They can watch it at our website after the fact or at the Rumble Channel as well. Our email address, if you want to send in some feedback, is td at the trumpet. Dot com. Lots and lots to get to on today's show. We've got a follow-up on the, uh, the Fannie Willis <laughs> segment that we had, or at least it was part of the segment uh, yesterday, about God just exposing, exposing the lawlessness and the corruption, and really, really, just like we experienced in our lawsuit over Mystery of the Ages, leading, leading these treasonous agents into a trap, where they just want to get out of it eventually and not be exposed any further. So many of these radical leftists are being exposed for doing the same, the very things that they're accusing their enemies of doing. Cory Bush, she's in the House of Representatives. She's being investigated for using taxpayer funding for her own personal security. We'll come to that later if we have time. There's quite a lot that we've packed into the first segment the news segment on today's show. We'll see how how we do with time. But uh, here are these people, in the case of Corey Bush, I mean, she's actively working to defund the police. So, so defund your security, but then use your money to enhance her own security. How about that? These are the people leading the way in the, the D.C. cartel, as some call it, the swamp. The uh, the deep state, as I say, lots to get to on the show. But we'll come back to that cold open and the invasion that's uh, currently happening at the southern border. There's that one Democrat representative saying Donald Trump would put uh, alligators in a moat. Well, I mean, if I was in Mexico, I wouldn't come across a moat with uh, alligators in it. You want some kind of a deterrent. There, that's the whole point. There are no deterrents. It's just a wide open door. Come right on in. Come on in. That's Joe Obama's policy. As I said the other day, everything else is noise. In fact, for three years, three years we were told the border's perfect. But now you see it's an election year. And now they know. They know Americans are angry. And so there they are, saying Donald Trump wants to do this, Donald Trump wants to do this. By the way, last week Joe Scarborough told us that John, Donald Trump wants the border open. Well, which is it? He wants it wide open, or does he want the alligators? <laughs> he, he will do something. These people know this. He'll, he'll get in there and close the border. And you've got the fake president going around saying, just give me, give me this legislation coming through the Senate, and I'll close the border. He can close the border today if he really and truly wanted to, but he doesn't want to. That number, by the way, the little fox bit in the uh, the cold open, talked about 67,000 migrants just flooding into New York City. It's actually more like 170,000 over the last year and a half. It's 67,000 are in shelters. Yeah, and some of them are beating up the police. <laughs> this is from the New York Post. It says here, uh, cops allegedly beaten by a rowdy migrant mob near Times Square. A small percentage of the asylum seekers have been uh, tied to crimes, including the fatal stabbing of a 24- year- old migrant at a city shelter on Randalls Island, January 7. The Post reported this week that nearly hundred migrants also have popped up on the New York Police Department's radar, as suspect, suspected pickpockets, they're coming into New York and they're robbing people or they're beating people up or they're stabbing people. The worst of them are. Listen, listen to this again from Fox News on those those immigrants that, that beat the police officers. Clip three.
3: I, oh, and by the way. Uh, they did bust uh, in all five people, uh, two 19-year-olds, a 21-year-old, and a 24-year-old, and of course all single males. And weren't we told a while back the people being led across the uh, border were all in family units? Anyway, one of those migrants uh, apparently has two open cases for assault and robbery. You know, he's already been arrested twice. In November, he punched and pushed and bit a Nordstrom Rack employee who said, hey, you can't steal that $130 item from the store.
1: (laughs) They've got a long rap sheet. Just like so many of the thugs in the inner cities, (laughs) they're just committing one crime after another after another. They're arrested, they're apprehended and arrested, and then they're let out immediately. Immediately. Because, well, that's the way Cori Bush wants it, you see. Let him out. Let them roam the streets. If they get close to my house, hey, I've got security detail. Listen again.
3: This is clip four. This is a complete uh, circle. We defund the cops. We don't back them. Now we break the border and tell the cops to wrangle them up and create some type of semblance of order, and they're getting attacked. So now, And the people who opened up their arms now have losing their cities. I hear in Denver, nobody wants to live there anymore. You can't get a hotel room. It's a fraction of what the city was before. So don't tell me you got a big heart. Think America first. Your goal is to make the people of Denver who make their lives better. Not welcome in the world and demand federal funding for it. By the way, the federal funding doesn't come from the president's pocket. It comes from federal tax dollars in a country that's thirty six trillion dollars over in in debt.
1: That's right here again. U.S. taxpayers are funding are funding these operations in Denver or a city near you, opening up hotels, schools in some cases. you got to have shelters, right? And then you've got to send them all these government handouts so that they can get a good you know, three squares a day. This New York Post piece says, also this month, residents near Brooklyn's Floyd Benefit field where a 2,000 bed migrant tent shelter was erected, complained about lawlessness by the occupants there. Trump's right. <laughs> They're not bringing their best. It says here, by September, more than 40 migrants had been arrested at the Roosevelt Hotel in Midtown Manhattan, the city's intake center for thousands arriving in the city too. 40 arrested at one hotel. This hotel that's basically turned into a migrant shelter. Joe Obama could stop it today. But he won't, because this is all part of the fundamental transformation. These criminals are future Democrat voters. This is from Tablet. Over the past three years, the Biden administration has effectively rewritten U.S. immigration law, creating an entirely new system of quasi-legal immigration under the rubric of parole. The discretion of the federal government to grant parole or legal residence and work permits to a small number of refugees and other foreign nationals has been used by the Biden administration to rip a hole in America's southern border in order to invite in, invite millions of foreign nationals, most of them from Latin America, from Central America, the Caribbean. It says here, as of September 2023, just a few months ago, an estimated 3.8 million immigrants entered the U.S. under the Biden administration. It's it's probably much more than this, but the the, the percentages here are uh, revealing. It says here, of those, 2.3 million have been given notices to appear before an immigration court, which could allow them to stay in the U.S. in a twilight status for years before the court date. Yeah, come to court in a few years and we'll sort all of this out. Meanwhile, they just go out they live in the shadows. Well, anymore, it's not even in the shadows. It's at fancy hotels at Times Square. It says here, of the rest, an estimated 1.5 million are illegal immigrants who sneaked across the border and overstayed their visas and remain, with the government having no idea of their whereabouts. What other nation on earth does this? Answer, no other nation does this. No other nation is this eager to commit suicide. Of course, Barack Obama, the dear leader, in his arrogance, in his vanity and pride, he assumes that he can navigate his way through this fundamental transformation and somehow or another, you know, there can be some semblance of a Of a communist utopian state in the end. It's actually just driving this country into the ground. It's it's leading us to suicide. Sickness from head to toe, as your Bible describes it. It's a national sickness. It's a gaping wound. (laughs) How out of touch do you have to be as a representative of the American people to get up and say, you know what, Uh, Donald Trump wants to secure the border. Can you believe it? That's like getting up and saying, you know what my opponent wants to do? He wants to lower your taxes. Can you believe this? And they wonder why Donald Trump is as popular as he is. Man of the people. Populist movement. (laughs) Quite, Quite the backlash to these communist infiltrators that want to fundamentally transform everything about the United States of America. You know, you look at some of these headlines. It's not just this week. I mean, it's like every week. It's, it's like you could you could see the same headline in the Trumpet magazine two, three, four years ago. Look at the story with respect to Iran. Here we've empowered this number one state sponsor of terror. We funded them. We funded the mullahs. And then what do they do in return? Well, they send that funding to Hamas. Hamas attacks Israel, invades Israel on October 7. And then you, you lash out, we empowered the Houthis. And then the Houthis take over the Red Sea and make it dangerous for this, this shipping lane. This, I think it's the number one shipping lane in the world. And then, in response to that, that bombing campaign, which was supposed to settle everything down there in that shipping lane, the Iranians, an Iranian-sponsored group, takes out three of our servicemen in, uh, in Jordan. This is from the New York Post. President Joe Biden's got blood on his hands after, peri- after, after appeasing Iran for years. As I said the other day, I mean, they're in a pretty difficult position here because the dear leader, he loves the mullahs in Iran. He's aligned with them. Ideologically, he's aligned with them. Lee Smith made this point a couple weeks ago on this very program. So what do you do now? Listen to the regime as they (laughs) say that, hey, we're going to be tough, but we're not going to be tough. This is clip 12. And what's the message to Iran? Don't it was very important to send a very clear message to anyone who might seek to take advantage of the conflict in Gaza to threaten our personnel uh, here or anywhere else in the region. Don't do it.
4: What is your message to Hezbollah and its backer Iran? Don't. 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 Don't.
0: Clear obviously that don't didn't work. Does the president have any regret over not
4: Pushing, punching back harder in any of the prior responses that he's taken to these proxy
5: attacks on U.S. forces? I would, uh, uh, I think I would push back on the idea that we didn't push back harder. Isn't it time to involve the American people? I mean, given the fact that the American people were not happy about, I mean, I suspect the American people are not happy about attacks on commercial shipping in the Red Sea. I also suspect they're not happy about seeing American troops killed uh, at a base in Jordan. The President has the authority to defend those troops in those facilities and he'll do that weighing all of his options. This is an election year. Is the president looking at his polling when he's weighing all of these options? Is the president looking at what? That's a heck of a question. He's not looking. Ma'am, ma'am, ma'am. Let me just stop you right there. Commander-in-chief is not looking at polling or considering the electoral calendar when he's defending how they feel about the war on Gaza. Oh, Now, can I answer the question? He's not Looking at political calculations, or the polling, or the electoral calendar,
2: is the president currently actively considering potential attacks inside Iran? We
5: are not looking for a war with Iran. We are not seeking a conflict with the regime in a military way. Um, and as I said in the, in the opening, we're not uh, we're not looking to escalate here. This attack over the weekend was escalatory, make no mistake about it, and it requires a response.
1: Well, the United States has been reluctant to conduct any attacks, and in doing any of the attacks, the counter-strikes has been limited and what the administration perceives to be proportional. And the principal reason is that the perception in Washington is that anything more than that will widen the war. Uh, Critics say, and probably properly so, that uh, Iran's allies don't need any excuse to continue or even widen their attacks. Iran is fairly well convinced, and probably properly, that the United States is reluctant to attack Iran directly. (laughs) That last guy's from NBC. Iran's convinced that uh, America's not going to go after them directly. So there may be some kind of proportional retaliation. You know, fire some missiles in a field somewhere and say that you got an important terrorist network. You took it out. And that'll be probably it. I mean, what's happened? That, that happened over the weekend, right? And, and nothing's happened that I've seen on the, the wires yet. Nothing. So we're weighing our options. We, we want to make sure that we don't offend the mullahs. Because for years, we have funded them. We have empowered them. We have steered completely clear of them with respect to their terrorist-sponsoring activities. This New York uh, Post piece, President Biden has for three years obsessively pursued a dangerous and naive strategy toward Iran, appeasement at any cost. Uh, But really, like Lee Smith said, it's worse than appeasement. They're ideologically aligned. This was all part of the fundamental transformation. Stick it to Israel's eye and ally yourself with Iran, the the number one state sponsor of terrorism. Three American servicemen paid the cost in blood. This weekend, their murders subsidized by the billions in sanctions relief, Biden and by Biden, We should read Obama. Obama has provided Tehran and all but guaranteed by the president's refusal to hold Iran accountable for nonstop attacks on U.S. forces. That's all that they do, Iran. They attack Jews and they attack U.S. forces, and we help them do it. It says here the deadly assault on the U.S. base um, on American forces. Or was the 159th Iran-directed attack on American forces in the Middle East since October 17th? This is nonstop attacks. Those attacks have included suicide drones, mortars, rockets, and close-range ballistic missiles, leaving dozens of other Americans injured. One Christmas Day drone attack left a a member of the 82nd Airborne in a coma with shrapnel uh, stuck in his head. A U.S. contractor died of a cardiac uh, event during a drone attack two months prior but these assaults didn't start October 17th. U.S. Central Command's chief testified to Congress last year that Iran had directed 78 attacks on American forces in Iraq and Syria from January 2021 to March 2023. I mean, the track record speaks for itself. It just goes on and on and on. And we keep sending them billions and billions and billions. You see how it works? This is is an administration that hates America. I'm speaking of the U.S.-led, the U.S.-led government. It hates America. So the borders are wide open, and we empower our enemies. This, this week, the, the United States had to withdraw funding from a U.N. organization, UNRWA, it's called, because there's reports that, and the U.N. has admitted this, there's report that some of these U.N., Agents actually helped Hamas with the attack on Israel October 7th. You know it has to be bad if the United States is withdrawing, if a left wing government in the United States is withdrawing funding to any kind of UN agency. It says here, this is from the Wall Street Journal at least 12 employees of the UN's Palestinian Refugee Agency had connections to Hamas's. October seven attack on Israel, and around 10% of all its Gaza staff have ties to Islamist militant groups. Can you believe this? this is, the United Nations is effectively a terrorist organization. At least, at least this particular wing is. We know about their history, their long history of supporting terrorists, of empowering terrorists, just like the radical left in the United States just like the radical left in D.C., just like Barack Obama. Six UN relief and, work, and works, uh, U.N. relief and Works agency workers were part of the wave of Palestinian militants who killed 1,200 people in the deadliest assault on Jews since the Holocaust. They were part of the wave. They didn't just know, hear something and think, I think something's going to happen on the morning of October 7. No, 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 no. They were part of it. They were part of it. It says here, Two helped kidnap Israelis. Two others were tracked to sites where scores of Israeli civilians were shot and killed. Others coordinated logistics for the assault, including procuring weapons. These are U.N. workers. They work for the United Nations. How about that? Of the 12 U.N. employees with links to the attacks, Seven were primary or secondary school teachers, including two math teachers, teaching the little Palestinian children how to hate Jews, and then off on the invasion of October 7, the raping, the pillaging, and the murdering. It says here, intelligence estimates shared with the U.S. conclude that around 1,200 of UNRWA's roughly 12,000 employees in Gaza have links to Hamas or Palestinian Islamic Jihad, 1,200 out of 12,000. If my math is right, that's about 10%. That's a a pretty good chunk of the UN staff there in Gaza that are actually helping and supporting and connected to Hamas. Not just a Palestinian, not just a a two-state solution, Uh, They're not just behind this. If we get two states, everything's solved. I mean, they're actively supporting Hamas. That is crazy. So U.S. withdraws funding, and here's Mr. Kirby again. Listen to him as he he acknowledges that, yeah, we've had to do this, but listen, listen, listen. Don't let that 10% get in the way of the fact that the U.N. does a, a lot of good things. Even in Gaza. This is clip 13.
0: The U.S. has suspended aid momentarily to the U.N. Relief Agency, UNRWA, in Gaza after accusations that members of the U.N. agency were connected to Hamas and in one case participated in the October 7th attack on Israel. The U.N. Relief and
5: Works Agency, UNRWA, it's uh, called Colloquio, they have been doing uh, a lot of amazing work on the ground in Gaza, literally helping save thousands of lives. You're right, Savannah. We suspended our funding uh, pending the results of that investigation. Let's see where it goes, and then we'll, we'll make the appropriate policy decisions going forward. But I do think it's important to remember that UNRWA does important work ar- across the region, certainly in Gaza. Uh, they have helped save thousands of lives, and we shouldn't impugn uh, the good work of a whole agency uh, because of, uh, of the terrible, just terrible allegations.
1: No, no, don't impugn the work of the, the whole agency. They're doing so much in the way of good work. The Wall Street Journal says nearly half of all UNRWA employees, an estimated 49%, also had close relatives who also had official ties to the militant groups. Hamas. Yeah, half of them, they've got close relatives. A lot of the journalists... How did the journalists know? We've made this point before. Some of them were were right there, embedded into the Hamas attack. Once they punctured the security fence and just... Poured into southern Israel, started off with the killing and the raping and the maiming and the murdering. Reporters, UN workers, complicit. Breitbart says here Nihad Awad, the executive director of the Council of American Islamic Relations, that's CARE. Here in the United States and a supporter of Hamas's October 7 terrorist attack demanded Monday that the U.S. restore funding to the United Nations Relief and Workers and Works Agency, UNRWA, the care leader. He backs Hamas's invasion and destruction of those townships in southern Israel and the raping of their women and the kidnapping of their, in some cases, months old babies. He backed all of that, and now he's outraged that funding would be withheld from the UN because of these reports. I mean, we are just surrounded by traitors. They're right in our midst. They're everywhere. They're not America first. You know, Brian Kilmeade talked about America first there in that Fox clip. You better be careful. They might lump him in with the MAGA movement. You know, the MAGA movement that wants to put alligators in a moat at the southern border to secure the border? Last week, the Biden administration suspended, well, it just goes into some of the detail. As I said earlier, these people, they're so out of touch, so out of touch with American voters, and and they just are beside themselves. They can't believe, well, how in the world? How in the world would people actually throw their support behind Donald Trump? Well, maybe it's because so many of these regime media talking heads are part of the problem. Maybe it's because they're sleeping with the enemy. Maybe it's because they're siding with the enemy. Maybe it's because they're just pure propagandists through and through. Jesse Waters, by the way, he had a little segment last night about the, uh, the slip-up from uh, Joy Reid. She's, you know, she's giving her nightly commentary. She's part of the propaganda arm of the Joe-Bama government. But then, as it turns out, there's a little bit of a hot mic problem that she had. This is Jesse from last night, clip five.
2: Every time you turn on the news, you're told, don't believe your eyes. The border's secure, the economy's strong, and Joe Biden's on fire. Do they really believe what they're saying? Well, there's new evidence that they don't. Last night, we got a look behind the curtain. Joy Reid was caught on a hot mic, trashing Biden, exclaiming that he's gonna start another effing war.
0: Over the weekend, President Biden said he's ready to take action if Congress is serious about solving the border issue.
2: If that bill were the law today, I'd shut
4: down the border right now and fix it quickly. And Congress needs to get it done. Starting another
0: war. <laughs> I just want to apologize very quickly. Uh, I was chatting during a clip that was playing um, and, you know, we try to keep this show very PG-13. So I just want to apologize to anyone who is listening to my behind the scenes chatter.
2: So Biden's going to start another effing war. That's what Joy Reid says when she thinks no one's listening. We get it, Joy. There are already wars in the East and Europe and maybe a third. Why not just say that on the air? You're an opinion host. You get paid to share your opinion. Well, it's because MSNBC doesn't respect their audience. They're not putting on a show to inform their viewers. It's a brainwashing op. Trump's Hitler, Biden's young, crime's down. A network that respects its audience, let the audience watch live news. But MSNBC doesn't let you watch Trump live. Maddox says it's too dangerous. The network can't handle it and neither can the audience. We told you last night, this isn't about persuasion anymore, it's propaganda.
1: He's exactly right. And it's obviously it's a point that uh, has been made over and over, uh, even on this show. But it is revealing when you see her going on about he's starting another war. Uh, Joe Biden is starting another war. And then the camera comes back to her. Good evening, everyone. Joe Biden is perfect. Joe Biden is bringing peace to the world. These people have been exposed, as I said on yesterday's show. Go back and watch that. The, the one on, uh, on how the devil has been led into a trap, really. He's, he's deceived by his pride and his arrogance and his overconfidence. And the people he is working through, they're just being reeled right in as well. God, like America Under Attack says, I mean, God, he, he wants to, he intends to, he is exposing this. PBS's frontline, here again, you talk about propaganda arm of the regime, that's PBS for sure. They had this production, call, we might come to more of the clips from this show at a later time, but I've got one that we pulled for today. The, the title of this is Democracy on Trial. <laughs> These communist insurrectionists, they go on and on about democracy about how the man of the people, who's got a strong showing from a, a populist movement, you know, a, Democrat, a democratic movement, they go on and on about how he evidently is destroying democracy. But they talk about the January 6th, you know, the, the attack on democracy, the, the so-called insurrection, and they've got a bit here where Adam Kenzinger tells you, I mean, they're basically saying the quiet part out loud. Yeah, yeah, we had to get a big Hollywood producer to come in in order to frame this just the right way. This is clip
2: nine. Thompson's committee had gathered a trove of information. The challenge, what to do with it. The one thing that we knew was the information that we have is compelling.
3: The thing we needed to do was tell that to the American people in a compelling way. So that's why we brought in a former president of ABC News.
1: Yeah, I got a call pretty much out of the blue um, from the January sixth committee. They wanted they wanted a storyteller, and while they were brilliant, they were brilliant lawyers. Storytelling for a mass audience is not what they do. Yeah, lawyers they can't tell a story. You know, they've assembled, they've gathered all the facts. Yeah, you know, lots of facts, says uh, PBS. And they they needed the Hollywood producer to properly frame those facts. Of course, you know, because you're informed, you know all about the fact that they ignored a lot of the video. They keyed in on just a little bit of the video. And then they had certain witnesses come forward that were part of the narrative. And then other witnesses that were actually central to what happened on that day, they didn't bring forward. Because they knew they wouldn't subscribe to the party narrative. And then to cap it all off, the Hollywood producer, they were exposed when they were doing this. When that story released that, yeah, they got a Hollywood producer for it. And now Kinzinger, I mean, he just fully embraces it. Yeah, this is why we got the Hollywood. Because, you know, the lawyers can't really tell a story. They needed a storyteller. That's right. The regime needs storytellers. They Ben Rhodes brought this out as well. They, they need people who are skilled in in telling fiction stories. That's who Ben Rhodes is. That's who the Hollywood producer is. And that's what the January 6th committee was. This article from American Conservative. (laughs) Again, you talk about headlines that you see in the Trumpet magazine. The title is Trump will win. He will win. I mean, you had that at thetrumpet.com the day after the day after the media anointed Joe Biden as the fake president, back in 2021, this article here says, outside the mainstream media, no one is buying the end of democracy claim. No one's buying it. No one's buying Listen to uh, Jen Psaki. She's just a spokesperson. She literally was a spokesperson for the regime. Then she retires from that and gets a job straight away as a host on MSNBC Listen to how she's framing the next presidential election, clip 11.
5: This week alone really showed us the contrast at the center of this election. On one side, there is the chaos theory, turning the courtroom into a campaign, revving up the worst instincts of the Republican base by playing the victim card when you are attacking the women you assaulted, telling people that the system is broken and that you are the only one who can fight it. And on the other side, there is normalcy, steadiness, and perhaps most importantly, a focus on the country and not on yourself.
1: Normalcy and steadiness on the other side. That would be the Joe Bama side. Everything's normal. This is like Jesse Waters said that this is what we're treated to every day if you flip on those channels, which I don't. But if you were to do that, normalcy, yes, yeah, steadiness, peace, prosperity. On the other side, end of democracy. It says here, the simplest counter argument is that if Trump does not believe in the system, why is he following its rules and campaigning? Wouldn't a wannabe dictator, you know, act more dictatorial? Here's Donald Trump. He's out campaigning. He's drawing huge crowds. He's he's soliciting their vote. Is this the way a dictator operates? To fly to some small town in Iowa and to say, here's why I would make a better president. It says here, same for January 6th. Wouldn't a proper insurrection, as opposed to a protest turned tantrum, have some political path towards success? The January 6th insurrectionists simply walked back out of the Capitol building on their own. And their supposed leader, Donald Trump, did the same with the White House two weeks later. He just left he left and he he moved out and he, he he welcomed joe biden in he didn't go to his inauguration cuz he knew it was fake and phony he knew it was a fraud but he left the white house is that the way a dictator behaves <laughs> these are headlines these are headlines that you've seen at the trumpet tomorrow's news today if you haven't subscribed you can call our operators today and get a free one year subscription Just call 1-866-930-3024. Subscribe to Tomorrow's News Today. It says, if that was a potential end of democracy event, Trump leaving the White House three years ago, it was a pretty lame one, a pretty lame one. If Trump wanted to be a dictator, he had four years to cement his role. He did not. And anyone willing to think about it knows, knows that. Rowdy ditto heads amok in the Capitol for an hour or two is not the same as tanks on the ellipse. If anything, the use of lawfare to jail or drive an opponent off the ballot seems as undemocratic as anything else. Hypocrisy is an ugly thing to build an election strategy around. They're going on and on about the end of democracy, even as they, they work to end Democracy to prevent people, you, from voting for Donald Trump. Jen Psaki frames it as you've got normalcy, you've got steadiness, you've got peace on the side of Biden, and look at what you got on the other side. I think Van Jones recently was closer to the truth when he suggested that uh, Joe Biden, this time around, again, that he stay in the basement. This is uh, clip
4: 14. If I were Biden, I would I would stay hidden. And I'll tell you why. Um, He doesn't inspire confidence. And he's not a great messenger for himself. There's something wrong with this campaign where we're somehow expecting Joe Biden, who frankly hid during the last campaign, to come out now and be Flash Gordon and save this his own campaign.
1: (laughs) He doesn't inspire confidence. It's been a disaster. It's been it's been an unmitigated disaster. And at least he's, he's acknowledging that. Stay in the basement. Who, can you imagine giving that as advice to a Democrat incumbent? Don't come out and speak publicly. Don't come out and show yourself. Just, just let the Democrat machine take care of this, like they did in 2020. This article again, American conservative Trump will win. There's another one at the New York Magazine. Trump haters torn. Sorry, Trump haters turned Trump voters. So that's the reality. And you see tweets all the time of a prominent, you know, black celebrity coming out and saying, "I'm uh, I'm uh, voting Trump." You know, and another one sat down with Joe Rogan recently. He's an Asian-American. He says, uh, I used to be a Democrat, not anymore. I mean, this is happening all the time now. Why? Because people see what Van Jones sees or knows in his heart of hearts. How many of them know it? Just like Jesse suggested last night. They say one thing, and then as soon as they think the mic is off, they they just flip out over another war brought on by Joe Biden. This from The Atlantic. Is American journalism headed toward an extinction level event? It's commenting on all the recent layoffs. (laughs) These news organizations, they're just failing. They They can't make it financially. I mean, sadly, this article talks about how even at the local level, you have all these local newspapers and news organizations that are downsizing or just completely going belly up says here, for a few hours last Tuesday, the entire news business seemed to be collapsing all at once. Talks about Time Magazine, laying off people, National Geographic, of course, the big headline from last week coming out from the New York Times. Sorry, the Los Angeles Times. Laying off hundreds of people. A lot of them minorities, by the way. So the LA, you can add, L, the, add the LA Times to a long, long list of racist organizations Says here the decline of the legacy news media has been playing out for decades, exacerbated most recently by the advent of the internet and the explosion of digital platforms, especially the ad revenue gobbling tech giants, Google and Meta. It says here, the latest round of cuts, however, represents a grim new milestone. The Washington Post, NBC News, ABC News, NPR, Vice, Vox, and BuzzFeed, among others, have shed hundreds of journalists over the past year. And then it breaks down some of the the figures, the stats and figures from uh, just local markets since 2005 or 2009. It says here, this has left broad swaths of the country lacking professional reporting of any kind. The death rate among daily papers has been less extreme, if only because many continue to exist in greatly diminished form. One example, Denver's two primary dailies, the Rocky Mountain News and the Denver Post, employed more than 600 journalists before the Rocky Mountain News went under in 2009. Ever since, the Post has been peeled like an onion by its owner, the hedge fund, Allen Global Capital. Today, its newsroom directory lists just 59 journalists. It used to be 600 between two papers. Now it's down to one paper and they've got 59 journalists who are, who are tasked with covering a region that has become uh, a home to nearly 3 million people. And, by the way, a few hundred thousand migrants by the time this is all over. By the time Joe Obama gets what he wants. Cities being overrun with illegals. And then you've got, this is the press. This is the propaganda, the propaganda press, the regime media. I mean, the staff has been reduced so much in some of these cases. I mean, you can see why. They just, they switch on the propaganda feed so that they can know what they're supposed to say and how they're supposed to report it. The first casualty in war, what is it? It's the truth. You can see how the devil really has used this perfect storm to carry out this insurrection against the United States of America, to carry out this fundamental transformation. Truth fails, just like Isaiah 59 prophesies. Truth has been cast to the ground, just like Daniel 8 prophesies. We're just surrounded by lies. And as I said on yesterday's show, more and more of those lies are being fully exposed. This is uh, just a follow-up to uh, Fannie Willis. Fannie's crime syndicate says here, the scandal is further complicated, and you know all about the scandal, the fact that uh, (laughs) she's, she's taking all these taxpayer dollars and giving them to her lover, and her lover's divorcing his wife, it's just, I mean, it's like a Hollywood script. It says here, The scandal's further complicated by whistleblower Amanda Timpson's allegations of misappropriation of funds within the DA's office, claiming that positions in the prestigious junior DA program designed for disadvantaged funding, taxpayer funding, designed for disadvantaged local youths were instead given to children of Willis's office staff And former local officials, she's she's giving money to her staff and their families. Government funding, supposed to be for disadvantaged youths. I mean, it just gets worse. The more we learn about this this woman and the way she runs her office since she came into office, what was it, 2021? She campaigned on Get Trump. She should have campaigned on, I'm going to get some for me. I'm going to get some for my lover. I'm going to get some for my staff. Furthermore, she alleges that part of the 488,000 federal grant earmarked for preventing at-risk kids from joining gangs was diverted towards purchasing 24 Apple computers, funding office travel, and acquiring office swag like pens, coffee cups, and notebooks as part of a rebranding effort following Willis's unexpected 2020 victory. She unexpectedly won, and then she gets in and she starts taking all of these taxpayer dollars intended for disadvantaged youths to try to keep them out of gangs, and she instead, she instead spends it on herself. The whistleblower, I think it was Washington Free Beacon, they, play, they just released the, the tape of this whistleblower. She's sitting down. She's talking to Fannie. She's telling Fanny, "Look, you've got people in your on your staff that are using these these government funds for selfish purposes." So she knew, and, and in the exchange, she doesn't even deny that that sort of thing was happening. Listen to this uh, this audio. Another hot mic, I guess. Clip six. If you had to
0: give me a sentence, what is the sentence theme? Once I told him about his respectfully and in an email about his lack of leadership and the fact that he wanted to do things with grants that were impossible and I kept telling him like we can't do that and questioning stuff he would take me off projects tell people I wasn't doing what I was supposed to because I questioned him because I understood I helped write that grant I knew what was in that grant he told everybody in front of Crystal Deontay everybody we're gonna get MacBooks. We're going to do that. We're going to get swag. We're going to use it for travel. I said, you cannot do that. It's a very, very specific grant. Took me off. I questioned junior DA. There's kids in there from out of the, the, um, the county. All this took me off junior DA. I did not want to do it. He made it look as if I wasn't doing what I needed to do because I questioned him. Because so, I knew for a fact Mr. Cuffey respectfully did not know what he was doing, so, period. So I respect that is as your assessment. Um, it was clear to me that you and Mr. Cuffey were not getting along. And I'm not saying that your assessment is wrong. I want Cuffey, and this is my personal opinion to one woman to another, is dangerous to your administration. He tells people, when I reached out to you, he told me, oh, um, you think your word is safe? Um, and exactly when you reached out to Miss uh, Willis, she called me and told me. she told tell me everything. So once you reach out to her, she's going to reach up back out to me. So I didn't even go to HR. Okay, and I he put Dexter's know. name on my PDP, and I didn't even feel safe going to anybody.
1: The, woman, the whistleblower, she's demoted for speaking out. And then guess what? Guess what Fannie Willis does within two months of that exchange? She fires the woman. She she escorts the woman out on the spot with law enforcement. (laughs) I guess she's a danger now because she blows the whistle on this corruption. I mean, these people, you know, Jesus talked about brood of vipers, snakes. This is who they are. Spiritually speaking, and, it, and they're the ones going after Trump. Get Trump. The Washington Free Beacon, Fannie Willis, may have fired the employee who warned her about mishandling federal funds, but she didn't deny her allegations. You heard that there in the audio. Less than a year into her tenure at Fulton County District Attorney in 2021, Willis met with Amanda Timpson, an employee in the district attorney's office responsible for giving nonviolent juvenile offenders alternatives to the juvenile court system. During their conversation, a recording of which was received by the Beacon, Timpson claimed that Willis claimed to Willis that she had been demoted after attempting to stop a top Willis campaign aide from misusing federal grant money meant for a youth gang prevention initiative. Instead, they were buying buying MacBooks for the staff members and their children. Wow. But Trump, (laughs) Trump, Trump, Trump. This is the kind of thing that Trump wants to come in and clean up says here, less than two months later, Willis abruptly terminated Timpson and had her escorted out of her office by seven armed investigators. Wow. I guess she was a dangerous and violent threat. Seven armed investigators to get rid of Timpson, to get rid of the whistleblower, in the same way, well, not exactly the same way, but just like Wade wanted to get rid of his wife She's not part of the racket. Let's get the divorce proceedings going and move on. Let's move on. Let's travel the world, Caribbean cruise style, on taxpayer funding. Corey Bush, she's being investigated for using taxpayer funding for her personal security. And here again, she hired a close relative, her boyfriend, or maybe husband, I forget, paying them tens of thousands of dollars, no prior security uh, detail training. No, 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 no. Just give them money. (laughs) Give them money at your expense, because we can do that. We're in the swamp. We're part of the D.C. cartel. You know that there's some serious criminal activity going down. If Joe Bama's DOJ is investigating one of their own, that's how bad it must be, with Cori Bush, far left representative. She's one of the squad members, remember. She wants to defund the police. She wants to handcuff the police at a local community near you. And this from the New York Post, Cory Bush's new husband, was her boyfriend I guess, Courtney Merritt's does not have a private security license despite being paid $60,000 last year by her campaign to provide protection. <laughs> he has no security license. But Cory Bush says, hey, you want 60 grand? I can get that for you. I mean, we're together. You're my partner. You're my, you're my my, now you're my husband. No prior training, no problem whatsoever. Go back and watch uh, yesterday's show about Satan exposing, Satan or rather, Satan being exposed and and led into a trap because of his his pride and his arrogance and his overconfidence. You can, of course, read a lot about that in America under attack as well. That's all we have time for on today's show. The fastest moving hour in broadcasting. You're listening to Stephen Flurry and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining us on today's show and we'll see you tomorrow.